Uh, are we so are we recording now? We are recording. We've just okay. started did recording. You, did you have a cold open? Not really. I feel like my cold open is just informing you what what you're about to deal with. All righty. Um, Hit us with it then. Yeah. Wait, I'm getting a little bit of feedback on someone's end. Have you both got headphones? Yep. Yep. Oh, interesting. The clicking came from you, Tansy. <laughs> The, the clicking, clicking is coming, coming from, from inside, inside the, the house. house. <laughs> should we should we introduce that we have a guest? Why? No, <laughs> he can just show up. The oh. disrespect. The disrespect I'm already receiving. <laughs> so I, I I enjoy a podcast where uh, the guest just starts talking, and then ten minutes in, they go, "Oh shit! Did we introduce our guest?" You like, the idea of a, a, you like the idea of a twist guest, where the guest is just yeah. sort of like, the, the audience is asking themselves if they're imagining a third person. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So the song today, um, <laughs> you guys don't know what it is, do you? You have not no. been pre-informed. I I've, want... been, I've been informed of, of as little as possible, I think. That's the best I, way to approach the world now. I, I only know that I apparently know the song. Yeah, you should which both was know my, the song. Which, which was my one condition, because if you are going to be like, you don't know the song, I was going to be like, I can't, I can't not know mm. what it is then. Okay. Uh, I want you to cast your mind back to about 2004, 2005. An unfortunate uh -huh. time for everyone involved. That was I'm actually a great a time for me. Well, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I was you. having a great time. Fuck you, was... people having a good time in primary school. I was, uh, oh, my God, uh, primary we school? Oh. Yeah, I was in primary school. Uh, 2004, ten, ten... I would have just skipped year four. I was in year five. Yeah, so that, oh. that you, you've inflicted five psychic damage on me by saying that <laughs> uh, because I was, in fact, in year 10 and 11. Oh, boy. Yeah. You are an old boy. Yeah. How and we... those, were, those were the years in which I got cool. <laughs> Really? Oh. That happened? Yeah, yeah. Oh, like it, it reversed rapidly wait, after I left wait, high school. Wait, because I was going to say, is this cool you now? Now? Yeah. <laughs> I, it, well, uh, my, you know how some people have like intense like hairstyle changes and go through like yes. wild weight fluctuations and stuff like that. I have cool fluctuations mm -hmm. okay. where that was, that was like a cool peak and then it, it, it plummeted into a cool And then you drop. flattened that curve. Yeah, yeah, I flattened that uh. curve. And I, I like to think that I've climbed back out of it um, in the past, you know, two years or so. Yeah, well, you know, we can be the judge of that. Yeah. Uh, how, was, <laughs> how was your 2004-2005, Charles? Uh, 2005, we, my family was house-sitting for uh, friends of ours while we were renovating our house. Mm -hmm. So I was having a great time because I lived in a house with air conditioning. Ooh. Fancy. Um, and the house, that I, the house that we were in beforehand had like, um, it was, I guess it was like this by design, but like not very much insulation in the floorboard. So like in the middle of the winter, you would, you'd you would get them feel, cold feet. You would get, you would get like breeze coming through Oofed. the floorboards in the, in the, in the living room. It's like air yeah. conditioning, but just not when you want it. Yeah. No, the opposite conditioning that you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I know I was having a. I mean, I didn't have any friends, but like, yeah. you know, that's no that's one did at that time except yeah, Pierce apparently. All... Except yeah. me. I made a bunch of friends by uh, deciding yeah. to go and sit with some guys who who were like, oh, oh, <laughs> the boys. It turns with... out that that was what we were missing all along, sitting with the boys. Yeah, yeah. I needed to sit with Du Bois, and I sat with Du Bois, and it turns out that Du Bois also liked video games, um, and so we really they liked... like. 
Davidio games? They like Davidio games. So I joined what I re- later realized was the mid-tier boy group. Oh. <laughs> you accidentally ascended. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were the there were the like low tier boys um, who were like the aggressive losers, and then the top tier boys who were like you know the chads basically. Mm. Um, and how I... dare you use the term chad on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how the thing. <laughs> dare you? <laughs> you you filthy beta cock! How dare you? <laughs> Um, well, that, but that's the point, is that I, I invented a third way. I was kind of the centrist of boys' groups. Uh, but, but, Truly uh, the five tr- shots of your time. You were the, you were the Pete Boydajic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we navigated this careful middle way, a sort of Blairite approach, in which we were not we were neither chads nor virgins. Well, of course, we were, in fact, virgins. But um, <laughs> in meme terms, we, we were not the bottom of yeah, the heap. Of course, the meme term virgin has vastly different meaning to the sociological term. So. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we just, like, carefully carved this way out where, you know, the, the cool kids would talk to us because they'd be like, hey, you guys probably know how to beat that level in Halo, right? And we were like, boy, do we know. But, you know, we, we didn't have an intense obsession with trains, like... <laughs> The loser kids, right? <laughs> I'm just, like, I've I been... mean, I fucking love trains, so thanks for that. <laughs> so anyway, two thousand four, two thousand five. Oh yeah, that's where we were. Yeah. Wow, adding more tangents to that fucking long tangent episode. <laughs> um, so I want you to think about the first time that you heard uh, a beautiful piano riff introducing the song of all your internal sorrows. Because today we're going to be talking about My Immortal. Yes. 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 I'm so tired of being here. Suppressed by all my childish fears. And if you have to leave, I wish that you would just leave. Your presence still lingers here. Are you just adapting the fanfic? Well, it's interesting that you say that. Um, Tansy. Tansy Dementia Ravenway. That is, like, quite a large part. Pierce, you forgot Ebony, or Enneby, as it is sometimes spelled. (laughs) I'm very glad as well that, like, both of you know what I'm talking about when I say My Immortal. I'm glad that the song has transcended beyond... It's like... Like how kids these days will think of the app when you say TikTok, not the Kesha song. Like mm. words have changed meanings. Yeah. But just like, for... like virgin no longer yeah. means someone who hasn't had sex. Yeah, it much... means the opposite of a chat. <laughs> much, um, much like the party, the passage of time don't stop. It um, just goes, oh, whoa, whoa, oh. Uh, just for context too, I'm Tansy. Oh yeah, my name's Charles. And I'm Enemy Dementia Darkness Ravenway. <laughs> Uh, that's Pierce, is... and he's new. He's new in he's, town. He's he's a good friend. He's also uh, a writer and maker of things. Um, Helpman and... Award nominee. Helpman oh, yeah. Award nominee, yeah. And wow. That's, 
and that's brought me to this place. Yeah, and, and yeah. here you are. Things, things are really looking up for you, aren't they? Uh, I'm, I'm going to apply my rigorous dramaturgical uh, analysis to your adaptation of My Immortal. <laughs> I'm glad to have it. Yeah, so should we just barrel into this? I yeah. mean, I, I feel like that's what we unknowingly signed up for. So please, yeah. inflict this upon us. Um, I should also say, I told Charlie that this was going to be kind of like Seven or what's what's the other one with the... My brain has stopped. The Zodiac. The Zodiac Zod- killer. I was going to say, do you mean the other, the other great David Fincher murder thriller fun time? Yeah, so it, it was going to be like that and it no longer is. Uh, basically the problem is i watched f is for fake this week anyway that's the end of the episode (laughs) um yeah i watched f is for fake this week and i couldn't stop Mm -hmm. thinking about it and uh that's now what you're dealing with Um, director wise i know we don't normally talk director but this is very like current era adam mckay where it's let me explain a thing that you don't quite understand But, oh goodness! But it's, and the camera keeps zooming. Uh, but instead of it being like, let me explain the economy, or let me explain Dick Cheney, is let me explain my immortal. <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh my god. So when you say when you say my immortal, are you ref- which one are you referring to? We need to establish a sort of internal nomenclature. Okay, so we open with <laughs> we open with fuck your nomenclature, Pierce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nomenclature, I don't, I barely nomenclature. <laughs> good, good. Please move on. So we open with Amanda Stenberg looking good. in a mirror and right. applying like her current Fenty tutorials, but it's the most ridiculous over the top goth makeup. And she's like wrapped mm-hmm. in a big black cloak and she looks good. like in the camera through the mirror, like, you know, get those, um, not like a flat shot, but like eye contact through the mirror, like gaze in bathrooms in movies. Um, Mm -hmm. And she says, ladies and gentlemen, by way of introduction, this is a film about trickery and fraud, about lies. Tell it in a marketplace or by the fireside or on fanfiction.net. Almost any story is some kind of lie, but not this time. This is a promise for the next hour Everything you hear from me is really true and based on solid facts. And then she, like, fixes fixes her eyeliner and goes, Orson Welles, F is for fake. And this movie, too. But, well, the story we're telling you about is no Citizen Kane. And then she clips in, like, purple streaks to her hair. Good. Turns around. She's on an empty stage and starts sort of doing this monologue that opens with, author's note, special fangs. Get it? <laughs> Because I'm gothic. <laughs> to my GF, bra- open bracket, ew, not in that way, close bracket, Raven, bloody tears, 666, for helping me with the story and the spelling. You rock. Justin, you're the love of my depressing life. You rock too. MCR rocks. Hi. My name is Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway, and I have long ebony black hair. Open bracket, that's how I got my name, close bracket, with purple streaks and red tips. And she does the whole first chapter. I was going to say, how, oh my how much God. of this are you going to do? Just the whole, because you, you need people to understand where you're coming from. Is so this like does, a, is this a single take, you know, Anne Hathaway in Les Mis, she's just barreling this? Absolutely. On a yeah. big, and, and empty And like Anne stage. Hathaway, she's 
crying tears all the way down <laughs> <Yeah>. her face. <laughs> but those are tears of blood. Yes. <laughs> blood and eyeliner. I had totally forgotten about until like this week uh, the just immense kind of latent homophobia of early fandom. Um, yep. And <laughs> you just brought it uh, crashing back to me. <laughs> well, uh, get ready for the rest of this pitch. Uh, oh, good. Good, good, good. So she does the whole first chapter, which closes with author's note. Is it good? Please tell me. <laughs> fangs. And it's fangs like vampire fucking fangs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so this... No, I, I, I know. I read yeah. Oh, yeah. We all know. We all know. So um, we then cut to, like, busy streets, New York City, very, like, Adam McKay style. Uh-huh. We are introduced to... It's succession. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's succession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the rich white folk are going out. And then whoever's best is going to get a kiss from vampires. So we are introduced to Emily, who sort of like will literally just stare down the camera and tell you who she is. This is Amanda Stenberg's more normal character in the more sort of direct narrative. Uh, And she is a young up and coming journalist who works at an online pop culture website in 2017. And she's like their young adult book reviewer slash consultant. And she probably like looks straight in the camera and says, I'm a composite character. Uh, I'm made up of multiple people. You know, there's Alana Bennett, Lila Shapiro, Adria Romano, a bunch of Twitter users. I'm all of them, but just for the sake of storytelling, I'm one person. And we're falling back on that old screenwriting rule. If your story's too hard to tell, tell it by having someone tell the story. And she, like, walks into big building of online whatever she works at. We also meet her boss, Derek, who is Adam Scott. Yes. (laughs) Who literally just, like, looks down the lens and is like, I'm an audience surrogate so that things can be explained to me. (laughs) And does the BuzzFeed uh, office have, like, a, a similar name? Yeah, it's probably something that's like legally different, but definitely recognizable. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. very, very clearly BuzzFeed. (laughs) Yeah, let's just call it Clickhole for the sake of the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Because all content deserves to go viral. (laughs) Yeah, so she's shown up to work. You've met her and her boss, and you get the distinct impression that she is an unpaid intern and that basically like the YA market is so big that they have to have someone covering it, but they don't respect it. So they get the unpaid intern to do all of the coverage. She walks into the office. She has a look at the New York times bestseller list and she's just like, holy shit. And Derek is like, is this like an actual holy shit? Or is this like something that you think is a holy shit and no one else thinks is a holy shit. And she's (laughs) like, there's a new book on top of the young adult bestseller list. And he's like, again, does anyone else care? And she's like, no, this has knocked off the hate you give. And he's like, he's like, I haven't read it. She like looks directly down the camera and goes like, you should, it's good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The adaptation is going to be a hit. (laughs) And she's like, there's, I've never heard of the author. Someone called Lanny Sarum. It's a book called Handbook for More. Has anyone heard of this? And he's like, I haven't heard of anything. So she does She does a ring around, checks in with her other friends who are all like YA bloggers who normally get advanced reader copies of these kind of books. No one has heard of this book, 
Handbook for Mortals, which is now number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And she's like, can I look into this? And Derek is like, I literally do not care what you do with your days. Um, so so she starts to look. In- is, this, is this Adam Scott in his older sort of douche mode? I think it's Adam Scott in like. It's Big Little Lies Adam Scott. <laughs> it's Adam Scott in his like, I don't understand the youth mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, he's not he's not mean. He's just like. He's uh, not mean. He just doesn't care. Yeah. 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 Much like myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. I care too much. Uh, so Emily starts to look into Lani Sarum, the author of this book that's come out of nowhere. And no one really knows who she is. She is a former actor and band manager. And the more that Emily looks into it, the fucking weirder this story gets. Because she's apparently already due to star in a film version of this book that no one had heard of that is now on top of the bestseller list. <laughs> And that mm-hmm. also apparently has one of the guys from Twilight signed to be part of it and some dude from American Pie. And so she looks into Lani Sarum's acting history and she's like, fuck. And Derek from across the office is like, is this something that I want to hear? And she's like, you know that author who is now on top of the New York Times bestseller list? He's like, yeah. And she's like, she's an actor. And he's like, okay, what's she been in? And Emily just looks over and says her biggest credit is Trailer Park Shark. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Derek's like, excuse me? She's like, Trailer Park Shark. Imagine Sharknado, but worse. In a trailer park. (laughs) I love Trailer Park Shark. Trailer Park Shark (laughs) is a cult masterpiece. (laughs) It is camp personified. Uh, Everyone go watch Trailer Park Shark right now. Wait, how much, of this, how much of this is real? This is all true. Yeah, but are you doing the bit from the start of the episode or is, is that part actually real? The, like, all of this information is true. God damn it. I missed that part. <laughs> so um, Derek is like, well, uh, who's published this book anyway? Like, no one's heard of this first-time author. There hasn't been a press release. They haven't sent out any advanced copies. Who's published it? Emily is like, I am glad you've asked. <laughs> it was published by Geek Nation. This is their first published book. Previously, they were a website. Do you want to guess who they're run by? And Derek is like, is there any chance that I will correctly guess it? And Emily says, no, it's run by Glory from Buffy season five. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wondered what happened to her. She was so good. And then, like, what what happened to her career? She started a pop culture website called Geek Nation, which later published Lani Sarum's debut novel, which went to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, A Handbook for Mortals. And Derek I... is just like, I'm going to regret asking this. How old were you when Buffy Season 5 came out? And Emily's like, I was three. And he's like, I definitely, I don't know what I expected. I regret asking. Yeah, I, I strongly identify with Derek, as, <laughs> as mentioned earlier. So uh, Emily manages to get her hands on a copy of the book, even though, like, it's only just been published. It's mostly pre-orders that it has managed to top the bestseller list with. And again, none of her actual, like, author reading, publishing contacts have a copy of this book. And she starts reading it. And Derek walks past as she's like flicking through and he's like, what's it like? And she's like, it's like my immortal. And Derek is like, excuse me? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. Yeah. He's basically like, I don't, you, you can't just say things like I'm going to know what they mean. And she's like, my immortal, the worst fan fiction of all time. Have you not heard of it? And he's like, no. And she's like, well, this, 
was probably written by the same person. And then suddenly mm. the book has been taken off the bestseller list by the end of the day. <gasps> so Emily is like, what the fuck is happening? So she gets in touch with booksellers because it's kind of an open secret who reports to the New York Times bestseller list, who actually you can buy the books from to rocket yourself mm. up the list. It's an open secret in the publishing industry. So she gets in touch with a bunch of different booksellers that she knows. And one of them's like, look, we only really noticed that this seemed dodgy because when the bigger publishing companies do it, they're better at hiding their tracks. And she's like, mm-hmm. what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, look, someone calls you and asks if your shop reports to the New York Times for the bestseller list. And then you say yes, and at the end of the day, you get a bulk order for 70 books. That's the difference between a bad day and a good day as a bookshop. Mm. So everyone knows. But the guys who did this were kind of sloppy about it. Anyway, uh, here's the name of the person who did a bulk order of Handbook for Mortals, uh, and they were calling with a California area code. And so Emily looks into that, and she gets to Results Source which is a company you can hire who promise to get you on the bestseller list, regardless of what your book is. So Emily collects all of this information and goes to meet with Lanny Sarum in Vegas to do kind of the confrontation tell-all interview. Great. And she's like booking a flight to Vegas at work and Derek's like, where are you going? And she's like, it's uh do, it's do work you know? <laughs> it's work he's like will i understand and she's like it's it's work and he's like where is my credit card and she's like it's work um, <laughs> so she ends up in vegas in this like abysmally vegas hotel lounge where she meets lanny sarum who i like who theoretically could play herself <laughs> but she isn't she, she is an actor she was in trailer park shark <laughs> But um, but for the sake of like separating like art and reality, mm. mentally, I've cast Ashley Eckstein, aka Ahsoka Tano. Great, great. <laughs> they actually look quite similar, and they're wow. a similar age. So Lanny Sarum was in her mid thirties when all of this happened. Wow. But, yeah. Okay. So she tells this whole big story to Emily about how she always wanted to be an actor growing up, but she always got passed over for other people for roles. Uh, And she decided that the only way she was going to get a leading role was if she wrote fantastic screenplay and got to be the lead in that. And she became friends with one of the guys from American Pie. And he was like, I want to be in that movie if you ever make it. And so he took it to some producers and one of them was like, oh, have you considered trying to write this as a book instead of a screenplay? And then it got written as a book. And then she met glory from buffy season five at a con and then they agreed to publish the book because they were mates with the guy from american pie who'd be in the movie if the movie ever got made this whole fucking like ring around of a story yeah mm-hmm. and, and his lady is lanny sarrow i'm sorry the name is like a star wars character yeah lanny uh, sarrow yeah <laughs> is lanny sarrow's vibe here is, is she like oh finally a chance to tell my story or is there is it a combative like oh you've hunted me down damn it i've got to tell you everything I think it's a very earnest, like, this is a chance to set the record straight, tell my story kind of thing. It's a, it's yeah, a Carolyn yeah. Calloway type. Yeah. <laughs> oh my it's God. very Carolyn Calloway. I'm absolutely picturing <laughs> Carolyn, Carolyn Calloway. Calloway. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, Carolyn Carol Burnett way. Yeah, that one. Um, a friend of mine got a birthday cameo from Carolyn Calloway. Oh my god! How much did it cost? I and how not, late uh, was it? Well, that's a really good question. I didn't ask either of those things, but I did watch it, and it's like five and a half minutes long, oh, no. which seems longer than a birthday cameo should, should be. Should be, yeah. Because she absolutely just she talks about her cats, she rambles, she gets distracted, she then describes the sort of long rambling process as a sign of her fundamental authenticity. Mm-hmm, um, because mm-hmm. it wouldn't be Carolyn Calloway if you didn't self-reflexively comment on your failures as authenticity. Um, Jesus. And, and then also, uh, um, you know. And then a, post a nude. Yeah, post well, yeah, a nude she, from your grandma's house and then also <laughs> say something mean and or anti-Semitic about Natalie Beach. You know, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. That's, a, and, that's and, the Carolyn Calloway kind of stamp. And then it climaxed with her offering some, like, fortune cookie-style advice. Oh, good. What, what was the <laughs> advice? I want to uh, know. The advice was that... Um, Everyone thinks that success is success, but sometimes failure is success. And <laughs> no one knows that better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a long-winded way of saying, like, fail forward. Like, you know, which, which to be clear, <laughs> Carolyn Calloway has better than anyone. Like, oh, I didn't turn in my work on time, so I'm going to post a nude and get a bunch of followers and weird, horny attention from it. Or I'm, I'm going to, like, totally blow up my life and then try to segue that into an actual book deal. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> scam the world and then, I don't know, it's all branding, right? I'm fascinated yeah. by her. People think that success is success, but, but sometimes, sometimes failure, failure is, is success. success. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Lanny Sarum tells this whole big story, which is, like, kind of fascinating but also doesn't really result in much like Mm -hmm. she's very much like this is just my chance to tell a story and to write my book which is not good and also big publishers will bulk buy their books like everyone is cheating the system therefore Mm -hmm. like the system either needs to get wise to that or accept that it exists for people to cheat it. So, yeah. So, Lanny Sarum is like, yes, it's a grift, but, like, everyone's grifting. Yeah. And She's it's a in grift Vegas, to, baby. Yeah. It, it's a grift to ultimately make a, a, a good movie that I'm going to be in and that'll help my life. Yeah. And I wrote Carrot Top into the book because I met him <laughs> once in Vegas and he said he'd be in the movie if I made it. Again, this is all true. Yeah, yeah. I love that every detail of this is more bizarre than the last and yet, like, weirdly adds verisimilitude yeah yeah Yeah, you're like yeah okay i guess that i guess that makes sense for this timeline yeah so emily goes back to new york a bit disappointed because sure she's got this weird kind of side story and she'll you know throw it up on their website but she's not really sure how much attention it will command now that the book's been taken off the bestseller list uh so she's a bit down in the dumps and she is on twitter at the airport Mm -hmm. And the first thing she sees on Twitter is just someone saying, holy shit, the Maya model author came out of hiding to say she's not Lanny Sarum. <gasps> and Emily is like, what? And then she she looks into this and basically the Maya model author had actually come out of hiding a few weeks before and no one had mm. really noticed but then she'd commented on, um, she'd put, sort of put another update being like, just because I've received a lot of messages about this and predict I may receive more, I'm answering it here. No, I'm not Lanny Sarum. Really bad fiction just tends to read the same. No, I'm not on Facebook or DeviantArt or MySpace or YouTube, etc. I am on Tumblr, but I use my real name there and it's not Tara. And this just fucking blows Emily's mind. She's like, the, the Maya model author, my white whale, 
is back. Lanny Sarum was just the bait. Lanny Sarum was just the smaller shark from the Meg that then got eaten by the real Meg. And had um, Lanny Sarum in their the interview or elsewhere? Shark. <laughs> <laughs> had Lanny Sarum claimed to be the Maya Mortal author? No, but people had like compared their writing styles and been like, this is really similar, as in both mm. are bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Emily goes back to work and she's trying to explain this whole thing to Derek. And Derek is just not understanding any of it, but this is mostly so that, like, we can get... It's like, I understand every third word. A huge explanation of what the fuck My Immortal was. And basically, worst fan fiction ever written, the author Tara Gillespie with her co-author slash editor Raven published 44 (laughs) chapters of absolute drivel. It's so long. I've never, like, that's the thing, I've never gotten past about chapter five. Uh, you don't need to it doesn't improve yeah yeah i think i think i've gotten because yeah it's, it's is it 44 chapters i think it's 44 yeah i feel like i made it pretty much halfway mm. it got like ten thousand comments on each chapter mm. it was enormous but yeah. no one knows who wrote it and so emily's explaining this and she's like but three weeks ago someone logged on to an account on fictionpress.com and Derek's like, that's that's not the website you were talking about. She's like, no, Fiction Press was like, it was fanfiction.net if you wanted to write your own stuff. And he's like, isn't that just publishing? She's like, that's no. Fiction. <laughs> yeah. But basically an account with a very similar name was put up there with an author's note from supposedly Tara Gillespie, the author of My Immortal, saying hey, my fanfiction.net account was hacked and I forgot that I had this account until a few weeks ago. I just wanted to, you know, say, like, thank you for all enjoying this absolute insanity. Uh, It got me through a weird time. I was in love with Raven, but I didn't want to tell her. But it was a weird time. Uh, But, yeah, thanks. And then when all this Lanny Sarum stuff had come up, she'd put up another edit being like, I am not Lanny Sarum. And so Emily is like, I need to know who this is. Mm. And Derek is like, no, you need to work out whether it was serious or not. And so they get into this big discussion about, like, the idea of trolling fandom. As in whether or not My Immortal was a parody or not. Yeah, because Mm. Derek Mm. can't imagine a time when fan fiction really was that bad that My Immortal could have not been a parody. My sweet summer child. But, the, but, but this is the great unanswered question, right? Yeah. This is the constant question whenever I bring it up to someone, whenever it comes up in conversation, it's the question of, like, was this done as a joke? Mm. Like, was this done as the ultimate troll or is someone really like this? Yeah. And bo- both situations are equally... equally fascinating. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And both, both situations testify to a singleness of purpose on the part of the author that is kind of unrivaled. Hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Either way, you're still committing to write forty four forty four chapters. chapters. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. some of the chapters are very short, but there's yeah. still forty four <laughs> of them. Yeah. So they discuss like the idea of Schrodinger's troll. Is it a case of like she did write a bad thing and didn't know how bad it was until everyone told her it was bad, and then she lent into it, <laughs> and then this huge thing where Emily's like, you know, it's like uh like um Trailer Park Shark. Or Santa's sleigh. And Derek's like, what? And she's like, Santa's sleigh. And he's like, do you mean like the sleigh? And she's like, yeah, like sleigh is in murder. Have you not seen Santa's sleigh? 
And he's like, of course I've not seen Santa's sleigh. And she's like, oh, it's great. It's this like Santa horror comedy. Santa kills everyone on his naughty list. you got to check it out. Is it good? No. Should you watch it? Yes. Yes. Um, and then Derek's like, what about, what about Raven? Who was, who was Raven? And Emily's like, oh, that was uh, Bloody Tears 666. She was, <laughs> she was the co-author. And he's like, well, why don't we try and find her? And she's like, nah, Raven disappeared even more than Tara did. Like, Tara is the one that we have a chance to find. She's like, will you pay me to trawl through Tumblr to try and find the author of the worst fan fiction of all time? And he's like, I don't pay you at all. So <laughs> Cool. So I'll do it anyway. <laughs> So Emily goes on this quest and the only piece of information she has is that the author is on Tumblr and had said as like a PS to one of the three notes she put on Fiction Press, PS, Undyne is my wife. And she was like, cool. So I know that the author loves Undyne from Undertale. So I've just got to search through all of Tumblr's Undertale blogs. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, dear. Which she totally does. Uh, so oh, it's like no. big big research subplot kind of thing and you probably sprinkle through this a bit of like information about Emily's life in that like Derek's like why do you know so much about this she's like I didn't have anything better to do in 2006 like I was (laughs) in this culture Uh, like we've all all gone down that particular internet k-hole before yeah I was born to the darkness like molded (laughs) by it I was born to the ebony darkness dementia raven way (laughs) And eventually, and he's like, I don't understand that reference either. <laughs> and eventually she comes across a couple of blogs where she's like, this could be it. These people claim to be authors. They've blogged a bit about Undertale. And then she comes across a post from an account that posts fictional characters that they think would be TERFs. Good. <laughs> and someone has posted to that that they think Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way would be a TERF. Oh, no. I agree. <laughs> and someone else has responded saying, lol, I know that the Maya Mortal author is on Tumblr and is, like, regularly posting against TERFs. And one of the blogs that she has got as a potential writer of Maya Mortal has responded being, like, trans women are women, full stop, and then, like, hashtag, like, why do I always get dragged into this? And she's oh like, my oh, goodness. my God. This is peak internet. This is, this, is, this is really getting into like reply all territory. And yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. So And how much so how much of what we've what we've just been through here is based on a true? This is all true. This has all actually happened? Yes. Good. All true. Down to like Santa's sleigh is a real movie. <laughs> yeah. No no no. Oh that 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 I knew. <laughs> that was not a question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> Me not know about a shitty horror comedy. <laughs> So um, Yeah, this character has Charlie's taste. <laughs> so, yeah, baby. So Emily clicks through and the blog is owned by Rose Christo, who has self-published several YA novels that have had reasonably good responses. Mm-hmm. And then within a week, Rose Christo has had enough posts asking, including one from Emily, <laughs> that she posts an FAQ on her Tumblr that opens with, did you write my immortal? And then... Yep. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. So Emily manages to get through to her. Emily's like, hey, I work for ClickHole. I really want to talk to you about this whole thing. (laughs) The thought of it actually being ClickHole, though. (laughs) Uh, 
and Rose gets back to it. Rose is like, hey, I, I read your thing about Lanny Sarah. It was really interesting and really cool. And I like how, like, there's no easy answer to anything. So I'm going to tell you what this was all about. Basically, I wrote my immortal. Like, first of all, it was a troll. It was a deliberate troll because my brother and I had been separated by Child Protective Services and I wanted to find him. I just remember that I do know this story. Oh, my God. I, I in fact, know so much of this story and it's going to get so much weirder. Yeah. Oh, my God. That all just came rushing back as you said that. Oh, my God. And just, like, directorially, Tansy, like, because this is a film and Mm. this is now our second or, like, fifth of sequences where characters explain a thing at length. Yeah. Is there, is there some Adam McKay flourish where we see, like, a reconstruction or we see, like... Yeah, definitely. We see, we see their version of the story through their perspective. I'm imagining, Ryan like, Gosling for... just pops in every now and then to be like, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, like, between each major beat, I'm imagining, like, a reenactment of one iconic My Immortal scene by A-list actors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in this case, in particular, (laughs) I was thinking like when uh, Emily and Rose are communicating online, we're cutting to Rose as played by Kanahito Horn, who is in Letterkenny and who I love, who's just like a hilarious, really good actress, but that she is like explaining and it's like they're in the same room. Like I know that whole thing of like, it's the internet, but they're sitting in the same room is kind of overdone. They're using a force diet. Yeah. Oh no. And, is, and that and that room can be like I'm just going to pretend like that wasn't said because yeah. uh, it gave me flashbacks. Um and, and is is the room kind of the the room is kind of decorated like her Tumblr theme or something like yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Uh also like Rose Christo is a Cree lesbian, so she's Native American heritage, lesbian anti-turf, loves Undertale like it feels like a success story overall for the mm. writer of My Immortal to get to that point mm-hmm. in her life. Yeah. Um, but she explains to Emily that um, basically she created this work, made it really, really bad in the hope of using the internet to find her brother. But she can't, <laughs> she can't quite give Emily the full story yet because she's just signed an NDA about it with her publisher who are going to publish her memoir – under the same stars, which tells the story about writing my immortal to find her brother. And Emily's like, I need proof. So Rose sends her some, she sends her some court documents and some screenshots and some old email accounts and things that she says she sent to a publisher that were used as a proof. And Emily's like, Oh my God, this is fucking real. This is, this is real. I want to write about you. And Rose is like, I'm sick of people writing about me. I want to write my own story this time. (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like this, uh, that's going to be the end of the movie, but we're only about 45 minutes in. So, <laughs> I was going to say, there's so much more. <laughs> oh my God. So, Emily goes to work. She's got like most of her story written. Uh, she's got an agreement with Rose that she's going to get an advanced copy of the book and that she'll be able to verify all of the details. She's spoken to the publishers. They say they spent three days verifying everything. One of the publishers is really excited. She's like, fuck me. I haven't been able to talk about this. We've had this book for months and I haven't been able to tell anyone. I've got the fucking My Immortal author. She's written a book. Fuck. Like just mind blown. Yeah. Everyone's so excited. And then someone shows up on Kiwi Farms, which is a website that is dedicated to basically doxing and harassing people. Oh, good. Yay. And he's like, hey, I'm I'm Rose Christo's brother 
and she's fucked in the head and this is mm. like this has gotten out of control. And he's like, look, um, I don't know if she wrote My Immortal. Some of these facts are true. Some of them aren't. Like she, mm. she is a serial liar. She has this whole thing about how she has face blindness because she got kicked in the head by one of our mum's boyfriends. She's not – she hasn't got face blindness. You think you have, like, what the fuck? Like, she lies about the most basic details. Here's a bunch of her private information. Doctor. I'm sure sure there are 100% people with face blindness, and this is going to come off as quite unjustified, but it's just the funniest, like, get-out-of-jail-free card in movies. (laughs) Like, it's always an excuse for someone... I'm face blind. Yeah, it's always an excuse for someone to be, like, an unremitting dick or to, like, be be bad at solving mysteries. So is this a good time to mention I'm, like, a bit face blind? (laughs) (laughs) But you have all... Whenever we have seen each other, you have always recognised me. Yeah, mostly because there's someone else who's already told me you're going to be there. I guess it is often me, like, texting you, being yeah. like, Tansy, I'm, I'm in the bar. No, I have, like, quite bad, like, not awful, but to the point where it is sometimes a problem, face blindness. Wow, I hope you don't get embroiled in a locked room mystery anytime soon. I hope I don't meet someone at a ball and I'm left with only a shoe to distinguish them. And I don't know what the fuck they look like. So when I go to a house and some woman's like, look, my feet fit in the shoe. Ignore the fact I cut off my toes. I'll be like, yep, looks like you're the love of my life. Let's get on this horse. And yet the shoe is filled with blood. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'll go back and try it on her sister who for some reason has a bloody heel. Let's get on this horse then. (laughs) Why are those birds talking? And yet, and yet, because of my face blindness, it's been the same sister both times, wearing a different hat. <laughs> I could, I could tell she was the different one because of the hat. <laughs> because of the hat and the lack of heel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so again, that's true. That like the brother had been like, she's pretending mm. to be face blind. What? And, and, and it, just in and just in drama terms, like. Mm. Emily sees this post and we have a moment of her being like, oh, my God, and that's how we get to the post. So, yeah, so at this point things start to unravel in that, like, Derek Mm -hmm. is looking over Emily's story and he's like, why, if she didn't want to be found, why would she have left this kind of, like, breadcrumb trail, the whole, like, Undine and, yes, I have Tumblr and responding to stuff and like posting that she was the author and then acting Mm. like she'd been outed against her will for it and doing like this really kind of reluctant FAQ, but she's publishing a memoir about it and things start to fall apart. And Emily's just like, okay, I'll, I'll try to work out what's happening. Like whatever the brother has done, that's a dick move, but it might not even be the brother. I mean, this is Kiwi farms. It's a site dedicated to fucking with people. So she gets in touch with one of the administrators of Kiwi farms. Who's like, Oh no, we've, we verified this guy. He's legit. I don't know if what he said about his sister is legit, but he is her brother and everything's starting to fall apart. So Emily's like, Rose, we need to meet. We need to meet in person and you need to tell me what's happened. So they do. And at this point, when they meet in person, probably at like the New York Grand Central Library or something, like some fucking picturesque location, Rose is played by a different actor. Yes. I don't know who, but someone else Caroline Calloway (laughs) (laughs) Florence Pugh who will play Caroline Calloway in the inevitable bio that I hope never fucking gets made about Caroline Calloway so they meet and Emily's like I looked at the metadata of one of the documents you sent me it had been through Photoshop 
and Rose is trying to explain that it was to conceal her mother's identity. And Emily's like, no, why would you do it? You've already, you've already given away so much that that excuse isn't going to hold up. It was one of those good photoshops done for noble reasons. <laughs> you know, like when you use um, incognito browsing to buy someone a birthday present and so it won't show up in the cookies. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why that was invented, right? Yeah. <laughs> And, like, at this point, everything is falling apart and Emily is just thinking about all the things she's overlooked. The fact that you can change your username on Fiction Press, even though the account was dated to be, like, prior to My Immortal. Maybe that was just an account that Rose had had lying around and she did make herself easy to find. And why did she say that she was in love with Raven and then start talking about how the whole thing was to find her brother and who even was Raven? And, like, the brother is even saying that Rose is lying about being Indigenous and this new actor who's now playing Rose, it's hard to tell. Is she? Isn't she? America is weird with Indigenous heritage and everything has just fallen apart. And Emily... This new character is played by Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, heavens. So Emily... gracious, please. (laughs) So Emily kind kind of storms off and leaves Rose behind. And is in her apartment and just doesn't know what to think. And you just have like all of the evidence and all of the posts being like projected onto different surfaces and it's all crossing Mm -hmm. over on Emily's face. And then you just hear a piano intro start to play. And then Emily just goes, I'm so tired of being here. And this is like your big dramatic, like your lame is Anne Hathaway scene, except it is Amanda Stenberg singing My Immortal. <laughs> Amazing. But as the song goes on, Emily starts digging deeper and deeper into the files that she has and then starts to open an old email account. And there's all these email accounts that were sent back and forth between her and Tara in 2006. And then you see an old movie poster hanging on Emily's apartment wall for the 2005 Canadian-American Christmas horror comedy Santa Slay, which stars Emily DeRaven. Oh, my God. And you em- see, you Emily s- is Raven? Yeah. So you see... All of this, like, you reach your own conclusion in the same way that Emily has been reaching conclusions throughout the film. You're like, oh, fuck. Emily is Raven. My mouth, my mouth dropped open. Like, I'm doing, like, the, the jaw-dropping face. But you can't see it because <laughs> this is a podcast, podcast. And we're not even in the same room. But, oh, my God. Because <laughs> literally, I, I was about to say, like, Tansy, I feel like we're missing a, a thing here about, like, Emily's backstory. And maybe this is a moment where we want to, like, bring something in. But you have, in fact, thought of this because you're a competent writer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for not assuming that I already was. Um <laughs> Well, like the the point of the the show is like the 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 flimsy justification for our presence here is to give notes, but um no no notes, no Tansy. Notes. <laughs> so like you just see Emily reading through like years and years of correspondence that just dropped off in like two thousand and nine that continued well past the My Immortal fan fiction publication, and you understand suddenly why she's been so desperate to find out who Tara really was because throughout this online relationship, she never 
knew Tara's real name. She never had any strong idea of who she was. She only thought she knew her. And the next morning when she goes to Clickhole, Rose is there and she's like, I'm going to tell you everything. I want to tell you everything. But Emily is like, no, I'm done. I'm not interested because now we understand she wasn't just looking for an author. She was looking for her long lost best friend. And the fact that Rose lied about anything is making her think she lied about everything. Would you say that these wounds won't seem to heal? This pain is just too real. And it's just too much much that time time will erase. Uh, So Emily like completely brushes Rose off. She's like, you're a liar. You lied about everything. You're just another person who has claimed to be this person that we will never really know. But Emily writes up the article about who wrote My Immortal. And she only uses things that were on public record. It's a wrap-up, not a tell-all. And it doesn't go into the fact that she and Rose were in contact. It's Uh just everything that was publicly available. And it reads like a thriller. And it's just like all of those Anna Delvey pieces from a few years ago. Derek's Mm -hmm. like, I hate that this is really good. And I hate (laughs) that that I've been told we need to pay you for it. Trust me, I do not want to be paying I'm, you. I'm so <laughs> mad that this is what moves you from unpaid intern to freelancer, but <laughs> I guess we want more stories like this. And it goes gangbusters. It gets shared everywhere because it's the most concise summary. It's accessible to people who don't understand anything about what my immortal was. It's it's a hit. It's mm-hmm. like the Carolyn Calloway Natalie article on the cart that just well, it, is their most read thing of the year. Yeah, Yeah. except, is and is there an element here, though, that, like, this isn't particularly good work on Emily's part? Like, it's not Emily sharing her soul. It's not Emily doing great writing. Emily's just wrapping up a bunch of stuff that everyone already knows. Yeah, it's like she has literally just regurgitated something to make it more digestible. Yeah, yeah. And there is a particularly gut-punching moment when she has caught up with some old friends from uni and they're all having drinks and one of them's like, hey, I read your My Immortal piece. It's so great. You should consider actually writing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But in spite of all of that, it's been Fuck really successful. Uh, and Emily keeps getting messages from Rose. She ignores them. She does get a message from the New York Writers Festival who are like, hey, we just had someone drop out at the last minute. And now we have a theatre booked and Lindsay Ellis booked to interview them. Um, do you want to just like do this for us please (laughs) so Emily's like yeah sure I guess I'll do an interview about the one article that I wrote this feels kind of (laughs) weird and and the thing that I really don't want to talk about anymore yeah uh but she like meets with Lindsay Ellis before because of course it is actually Lindsay Ellis I was gonna say she plays herself yeah and Lindsay's like hey um I wanted to like talk more broadly about like authorship and like the concept of like the respectability of fan fiction and parody is art and things like that. And Emily's like, oh, thank God you wanted to do that because I don't want to talk about me. So they start this interview. It's a like moderately packed house, not like completely sold out, but like enough people have read this article and are interested. Emily is like getting ready backstage and she does the full Raven cosplay that we saw at the start. (laughs) And is this the theatre from the start? Yes, absolutely, because we have a limited number of shooting days and locations. And and, and that's the real reason, but we justify it as thematically resonant. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I love when occasionally, like, this show gets 
like interested in practical Production? details of filmmaking. Oh no, we just shouldn't every do now that. And then is like, just every now and then is like, and and I did think about this from a production point of view and I think that blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like the whole point of this podcast is that these films would never get made. But anyway, so they're on stage in this theatre. They're like chatting away. They're talking about authorship. It's all very intellectual. Like Emily actually feels like a real writer, college grad kind of person, <laughs> even though she's in like a hot topic t-shirt and corset Mm. and like clip-in hair things but it does get to the inevitable point in the interview where Lindsay is like look you've done so much research do you have any idea who the real author might be and Emily kind of obfuscates she's like well there were two authors there was Tara but there was also Raven who we don't really know about Raven has stayed completely under the radar so um you know it's not so much who the real author is but who the co-author is we know is she's very smart and attractive she's very cool and hot (laughs) (laughs) and has a real job now (laughs) and is a real writer thanks very much Bethany wherever she is we can only hope that her boss treats her with the respect she deserves Uh, and like at that point in avoiding the question, Emily looks out into the crowd and she sees Rose. (gasps) And then Lindsay's again, like, well, in that case, do you think you know who the co-author of My Immortal is? And Emily says, yes, it's me. I wrote (gasps) My Immortal. And then in the crowd, Rose stands up and says, no, I wrote My Immortal. Oh no. (laughs) And then... Lani Saram stands up <laughs> and says, no, I wrote my immortal. I wrote my immortal and so's my wife. <laughs> and, and Derek and the other actor who plays Rose and the guy from the bookshop and E.L. James and Lindsay Ellis and anyone else who we can get to cameo stands up and says, no, I wrote my immortal. Oh my God. <laughs> And the camera, as everyone is standing and saying, no, I wrote My Immortal, just like slowly pushes in on Emily watching this. And then she looks straight at the camera and says, I told you that this is a true story. I told you right at the start of the film that for the next hour, I'm going to tell you the truth. That hour was up about 25 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) And you pull out to reveal that now the stage is completely empty Mm -hmm. and then you pan around to the stalls and they're empty and it's just Rose as played by Kanahito Horn so the first Rose the one that Emily Mm -hmm. was originally contacting in the empty stalls reading from a sheet of paper she reads hey guys I'm still around so it looks like a few of you have found my brother's post which I was expecting to happen so I'll tell you the truth behind everything My court documents are here, which originally had my mother's last name censored to give her some privacy, but you know it by now anyway. I went to a Catholic school growing up called Most Precious Blood, and I used to confide in the principal there, Sister Eleonora. She was my friend, or I thought she was. I was about 11 or 12, and I thought I was just venting to her. I didn't realize she would call social services on my mother. My brother and I were removed from my mother's custody. He was eight and I was 12. My grandmother offered to take us in and the court temporarily placed us with her. Then they did something really weird. They decided to let me live with my grandmother, but they sent my brother back to our mother. I've never really understood why this happened. Writing Under the Same Stars was me trying to figure out why. 
I've changed nothing except for names, dates, ages, and locations because I was trying to protect people who I thought would be embarrassed by the truth. My brother included, believe it or not. My name is Rose Christo. My last name was originally Christo Delopolis. It's not anymore. I changed it years ago because no one knows how to pronounce it. If I'm to believe anything my mother ever told me, it's that my biological father was a Cree man who she worked with and had an affair with. She said he's from Box Elder, Montana. After the events of the past several weeks, I can't necessarily trust anything that comes from my family. There's a lot of mental illness in this family. God knows I've probably got some of it too. I have a chronic distrust of people, for example. I maintain that Indian children are the most marginalised group in this country and we do need to do everything in our power to stop their exploitation at the hands of family courts and foster care. I maintain that Kings County Family Court deemed my mother was dangerous enough to remove me from her custody but didn't do the same for my brother. That means they failed one of us. That means they decided one of us was worth saving and the other was not. That's unforgivable. And my immortal? You can come to your own conclusions. This was never really about the fic. It was the marketing team at the publishers that decided to make My Immortal the main part of the story. Our email address was gothicchick at hotmail.com and our password was Tara. We registered on the 28th of February 2006 when I was 15. My last login was from Indiana. If zing at mac.com would ever answer his email he could probably corroborate all of this by just looking back through the fanfiction.net servers but i think he's in hiding or something shit's weird p.s i really can't differentiate between faces anymore i don't know why anyone would lie about that do you know how embarrassing it is to confuse bruce willis and michael keaton all the time and then you see emily walking in behind her, the camera pans over Rose's head to Emily. He says, Rose Christo, born Teresa Rose, Christopolopoulos, deleted her Tumblr account in October 2017. Her book, Under the Same Stars, was never published. The identity of Tara Gillespie and her co-writer Raven is still unknown. Credits. Wow. Yeah, so that's my immortal. God damn it. <laughs> Definitely the song plays over the credits too. Somebody, somebody get Jay Roach on this chat right now. I'm a picture to him. <laughs> yeah. God. Move over bombshell. I'm presuming you, like, that, that final statement is a real final statement that she posted. Yes, so that is yeah. a slightly condensed version of her final post on mm. Tumblr before she deleted it. God. And uh, you, can, you can look at those court documents if you so please. They're just online in yeah. Dropbox. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I... So much of this story is so bananas already that, like, you don't even have to do that much to it. Mm, um, and, mm. and yet the, the things that you did do were um, extremely fucked and great. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well I think. done. Is there, like, did Emily love Tara? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon so. Like, if you were – I deliberately sort of tried to keep Emily's interior life pretty minimal because I wanted to keep this under an hour. But yeah, I reckon you would definitely sort of imply that that's the reason why she's been looking so hard. And when she sort of first hears that Rose is like, oh, I was in love with Raven, she'd be like, excuse me? Excuse me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because on some level, yeah. like she she feels like she was catfished or something. Yeah. Like multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. 
Wow. Yeah. I, I I love me a good internet mystery. Yeah. And yeah, is... it's 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 sleuthy, it's putting the pieces together, it's it's explaining you a thing, and yet the real thing that was explained is unexplainable mm-hmm. um, because of the ineffable nature of the human heart and soul. Um, and also I do feel it like defies, every... It defies explanation. <laughs> and I do feel like every bit in, like, the final act was specifically created to uh, undermine my, my criticisms. <laughs> like the face... <laughs> Um, so now I feel bad for talking about face blindness. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I, that's actually my favourite kind of um, uh, story or, or movie or anything where, like... There is the no or- answer. Well, n- no, not, not that there is no answer. Um, that's infuriating. It's more that... that um, <laughs> that's right. That's your problem with a lot of, uh, a lot of pitch shifts. A lot of pitch shifts. No, that, like... Is, some... that, is that they're thoroughly unsatisfying in their conclusions. It's just like, and then fuck you. I would no. like my tombstone to have Tansy Gardam born, date, died, date, thoroughly unsatisfied with this conclusion. <laughs> the, thing, the, the compliment I was going to give is that, um, like, my, my favourite kind of art is, is something that has preempted your reservations and answers them within the artwork itself. Not in, like, the obvious meta way, but in something that's, like, something that you think is a weakness is actually just setting up a more devastating yeah. reveal later. And and also not in the, the live-action Disney remakes way. <laughs> Where it's Did like, you hear they're remaking but... Hercules? Oh, no. Oh, no. Are they? Don't you? Yeah. Yep. Why? Don't do that. Because money, unfortunately. That's not a nice thing to do. They're just going to do all of them, right? They're just going to do every single one. They will get to the point where they are remaking their live action remakes. Oh, yeah. I can't, because like porn has reached that point in the industry, and I'm fascinated to see how Disney will cope with it when it happens to them. Wait, porn is remaking porns? No, but porn is at a point where like the distribution and production industries are all owned by one company and it's a big Ouroboros where there's actually no real money anymore, mm. which is why camming is so popular. The snake eating its own ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was my immortal. Should we do the shuffle round? Let's do a shuffle Please. round. So what we what this part of the show is, is that uh, usually the person who hasn't just pitched will be given a shuffle of the artist that was just pitched um, and come up with a couple of like, you know, quick uh, log line sort of style pitches. Uh, but I decided before we, before we uh, started recording and I messaged Tansy um, that I'm not going to do it. Pierce has to do it. I was told there would be no work required. <laughs> Surprise. And, and this, isn't, this isn't work. <laughs> this oh, that's is true. Fun. Great. Great. All right. Yeah. We told um, you you didn't have to prepare anything. That's very true. That's very true. We're just going to chuck um, some Evanescence songs at you and then you you can work out a pitch for them. Yeah, yeah. I'll just deal with them as they come. Um, awesome. I think we've got to start with the theme song of Ray Lowe's in 2015, Wake Me Up. Wake Greg up inside. <laughs> I can't Greg, wake, wake up. up. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I was going to say before, while pieces, while pieces. That's uh, not even the name of the song, is it? It's Bring Me to Life. No, it's, Bring me it's to not. Life. I just looked it up on Spotify and I finally realised, yeah, it's one of those things where the, the song is named the wrong thing. Mm. Like What's Up by Four Non Blondes. The <laughs> they made it, an error was made. Is it, are you, did, did, did that occur to you because the other day... Um, Punch up the jam. Yes. What's up? Yeah. 100%. Because I was thinking about that the other day because I was like, wait, that song's called What's Up? It's not called What's Going On. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. not called, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know that, hey, yeah, yeah. Wake me up, wake me up inside. Wake up, wake me up inside. Call my name and save me from the NPR ranked this as the 88th greatest song by female or non-binary artist in the 21st century. Paul McCoy... I- Frontman of Twelve Stones came in to insulate chauvinistic rock listeners from Lee's operatic subjectivity. That's what he's doing when he goes, wake me up. He's insulating <laughs> you from operatic sophorility. Yeah. Well, if you were, if you were to, I think the idea being there, if you're listening to a, a um, rock station and a woman's voice come on, you go. You're like, this is not rock and rock. This is not rock. I change station. But if a boy goes, wake me up, you're like, yeah. You're like, ah. <laughs> Ah, uh, the man screams, so I may be assured in my masculinity. Yeah, finally, a character I can relate to. So, here's the, here's the, the pitch for uh, Bring Me to Life, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as the Wake Me Up, Wake Me Up Inside song. The Rainbow yes. Anthem. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Okay, so uh, this is, our, our genre here is a sort of urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a genre that gets a lot of truck in uh, movies. So, so onward, it's onward. It's onward. Um, but live action. Um, so there is a girl, and she's one of a pair of two sisters. Um, a pair of two sisters. What am I talking about? She's one. She's one of two sisters, um, and she has. Um, you know, they've been through a lot together, uh, and we kind of see that in their interactions at the start of the film. Big city. She's got a really tough job, but she used to be a lot more adventurous. Um, And we're meeting her as she's kind of settled down. Uh, And then in her dreams, she starts to hear a voice. She starts to hear something calling her. And it is just this man's voice that keeps saying, wake me up. I can't wake up. So what you're watching is Frozen 2, but instead of... "Ah, Wake me up! up! Um, you've you've discovered the twist immediately, Tansy, which is that um, what I'm pitching is in fact uh, a live action uh, kind of coffee shop adjacent Frozen Two AU, <laughs> in which a a character which is very clearly um, Elsa has to go on an adventure um, in order to. Uh, travel um, to a a dangerous place, probably like the North Pole or something like that, maybe Iceland or Greenland, and rescue a man who is an ancient vampire. Um, And she is, of course, also a vampire, um, but her powers have been dormant um, because of some uh, uh, plot um, where vampires have integrated with society and restrained their powers. Um, But, of course, this this man, this this Greg uh, figure... um, (laughs) <laughs> What's his name? Paul. Paul. No, Greg. Just, <laughs> this Greg. Greg. Um, uh, yeah, Greg. Greg, the ancient vampire. He's been sleeping for a thousand years, it seems. Um, he's he's this kind of medieval hot boy, um, and she yes. she has to make she has to make a very difficult choice between whether to resurrect this. I'm picturing a sort of Henry Cavill figure. Whether to bring him to life and embrace her vampiric heritage, um, to use her her powers that are dangerous but also beautiful. Oh, or whether to turn her back on that and return to the real world. That was that was super detailed. Yeah, that I was love it. more detailed than they usually are. I yeah. can be far. I can be far less detailed. No, no, no. I was great. I was just going to say that, like, we we really only need to do one more. Then, if connected. should we do? Call me when you're sober. Call me when you're sober. Yeah. Don't cry to me if you loved me. You. Thank you.
So, so this song presents the same dilemma as every Evanescence song, which is that it is either a very, very bleak, naturalistic piece um, about, you know, addiction and breakups and, like, just relationships that are extremely bad for the woman in particular, um, in which she has to deal with, like, a terrible um, man. Um, or it is a very obvious and deranged um, fantasy piece. Mm. Um, and having chosen the former route, I feel like we need to continue on this track. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the Evanescence Expanded Universe. This is the Evanescence Expanded Universe. Um, yes. Or the... Ew. This... I mean, this is... <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, this is the true dark universe. This, this is the dark universe. The dark um, E-universe. Yeah. Uh, and so this is a film about, this is a story about addiction uh, and a man and, and stalking and a man who can't let a woman go. Um, but having done Classic. vampires, having done vampires twice, I feel like this has instead got to be a different kind of supernatural creature. And I feel like this is the story of a uh, woman who goes into the woods, um, who she's a hiker or an explorer of some sort. Uh, she finds herself pursued by not the obvious choice of a werewolf, but uh, this is a Bigfoot picture. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those Bigfoot films. <laughs> uh-huh. And I assume, it's, I assume that this is a lady Bigfoot, because Bigfoot's gay. Uh, I, I, I hadn't thought that through, but um, yes, Bigfoot's indeed. Gay. Indeed, this is, a, this is, of course, a Bigfoot's lady Bigfoot. Don't, and, and... don't cut this, Tansy. Bigfoot is gay. Everyone. So I'm taking I'm ta- I'm taking the note that Bigfoot is gay. Okay. Um, good. And, good. Thank you. And that I, I believe through flashbacks it's revealed that uh, our, our hero had a had an, an ex partner that was very difficult and very controlling and they left them um, and there was some kind of uh, fight um, where the the protagonist is like you're so obsessed with me you're you're like an animal and uh, you know, you're so obsessed with me you're following me around like some kind of Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's and there's some very forced like Bigfoot reference, um, like how, how someone's being feet. someone's being really esoteric at work and really just you know really sassy. And it's like, well, look at this Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> and I suspect that you know that the the camera lingers on some kind of cursed necklace that glows <laughs> during this during this fight scene. You um, open with her buying shoes, and it's like, wow, you got really big feet. We're gonna have yeah, to get yeah. the elevens. <laughs> Yeah, and so she has two different size feet. She's like, yeah, I got one really big big foot. I've got one really big foot, Um, and so she is pursued by Bigfoot um, through the uh, through the forest in a way that like left pursued by Bigfoot. Pursued by a Bigfoot. (laughs) Um, But but of course, Bigfoot is Bigfoot is spooky, and Bigfoot never is fully seen. You know, she takes pictures, but she can't figure out what's following her, and it's just this really awful, constant pressure on her nice hiking trip, and she feels like she's going crazy. So it's like it's sort of a gaslighting situation where like Bigfoot's gaslighting you into thinking that Bigfoot isn't real, I suppose. But big, <laughs> but, that is but what big, Bigfoot does. Well, and that is the plot of the original Gaslight. Not, not many people yes. know this, but the term comes from a 1932 play about Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot and how, and how gay Bigfoot is. That's what that play's about. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it climaxes with a sort of chase sequence through the forest um, and Bigfoot slips and is going to fall off a cliff if our protagonist doesn't help Bigfoot. Uh, and, and Bigfoot is like, it's me, it's me. And she's like, of course it's you. I've known it's you the whole time. You couldn't trick me. I know that Bigfoot's real. Um, and it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and she says, you know, don't cry to me. If you loved me, you you would have been here with me the whole time. Um, 
and and big she has oofed. The, yeah big foot food oofed if you cry every time <laughs> yeah and I'm just drawn to the line, should I let you fall, lose it all? And I think she just lets it fall off a cliff at the end of the film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she she goes home. Um, and and everyone's like, hey, those, those forests, I hear that there's there's something out there. And, and the last bit is her being like, there's nothing out there, nothing worth remembering anyway. <gasps> anyway, call me when you're sober. Bigfoot's yeah. always just calling her up like, I still love you. Yeah, yeah. Bigfoot, yeah, and probably Bigfoot like leaves notes at the campsite and stuff like that. And she's always just like... But oh. they're always like drunk texts. Like, oh, absolutely. Like semi-autocorrected. Well, and, and that's because Bigfoot has big hands and, and can't hold pen good. <laughs> <laughs> this is partly inspired by the song and partly inspired by the fact that when I was in America, I was checking into this motel and a man sort of wandered up to me and was like, you need a hand with your bags or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Um, and then he was like, so you believe in Bigfoot? <gasps> That's amazing. And I was like, what? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm here um, looking for Bigfoot. And looking I said, for my boyfriend, Bigfoot. I said, okay. <laughs> Me and Bigfoot, we're dating. And, and my immediate response was because I wanted to like diffuse the situation. I went, oh, I'm Australian, so we don't really have Bigfoot. And he said, <laughs> what are Oh no, we're we're Bunyip country. Yeah, you know. You're like, no, no, we got drop bears. He said, "What do you have?" And I said, "Yowies." (laughs) (laughs) Thinking of the chocolate and being like, I think that's related to a mythological figure. (laughs) And he was like, "Oh, what are they?" And I was like, "Oh, spirits. They live in the they're like the bush. They're they're like chocolatey, and they got little gift inside. There's always a little animal in them." There's a yeah. little animal, and, and it's disappointing because you don't get Sort of a nesting to, doll situation. You don't get to put it together, like, with a kinder surprise. It's just sort of there, completed already. Um, anyway, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen Big, Bigfoot five times. And I said the same one oh or God. multiple. I think that's... And he said, he said multiple different ones. Um, How do you they... tell that they're multiple different ones? Did well, because they were in, he went to very different locations. He, he goes to various uh, parks and, and wildlife sanctuaries. Well, Bigfoot's pretty big. Bigfoot... I... I like to imagine good. that in... Bigfoot isn't Godzilla. It can't just walk across the country. No, no. In you Bigfoot cultures, that. in Bigfoot cultures, it's very common to go looking for Bigfoot hunters. <laughs> so, so somewhere there is a Bigfoot checking into a Bigfoot hotel, and it sees a Yowie, and it's like, I'm just gonna go ask, hey, hey, do you believe? Do you believe in Steve Irwin's? <laughs> he insisted that Bigfoot's the the is, sign is of that a Bigfoot. Not the plot it, of that film, Littlefoot. Probably. Kind of? Oh, that's Zend- that's the Zendaya is Michi. Zendaya. Oh, sorry, Smallfoot is the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Littlefoot is the Lancelot time character, of course. Adorable. Um, uh, yeah. So and and he he insisted that the way that you tell there's a Bigfoot around is if you're in the forest and you look up into the trees and there's deer carcasses in the trees. And I was oh, like, right. yeah, that common thing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. If I saw that, I wouldn't think Bigfoot. I'd think there's a witch. I need to run I was far say, away. Yeah. If if I saw that, I'd be like, oh, I'm in the film The Ritual. Yeah, yeah. Or the film <laughs> The Bevitch. Gosh, I hope. <laughs> gosh, I hope I'm the rape spawn, so I live to the other side of it. But he, but he insisted that this is how they store their food um, because they got big arms and powerful throwing arms, so they just chuck them up <laughs> in the trees and they climb. It's like their fridge. Yeah. And so they climb you know how and... discus throwers keep their fridges on the roof <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so and and rock climbers as well yeah. um and mm-hmm. so they just climb up and they get the deer and they eat the deer um, um, um. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm um, looking for Where can people find you boys for more quality content? Pierce, you go first. Okay, thank you. Um, finally, some respect. Uh, you can find me... Not for long, bitch. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at, at Pierce Indeed. Uh, I don't tweet a lot. But um, I'll probably tweet about this episode. So if you want to know what I'm doing, you could go there and you could be like, oh, Pierce was on an episode of Pitch Shift. I'll listen to Pitch Shift. And I'll become this terrible Ouroboros, as we've already discussed. Just like the porn industry. <laughs> Just like the porn industry. Charles, where can yes. people find you? Uh, people can find me also on Twitter at GarlsOchady. Uh, that's G-H-A-R-L-E-S O'Chady. Just can we, can we pronounce it O'Chady in honour of this episode's discussion? No, no, we can't. <laughs> um, how many times have you been spelling your Twitter handle on this podcast and just thought, should have should have made it easier? Uh, never. No, oh, okay. I, never. <laughs> cool. It's just, Stubborn. It's, I admire it, that. It's it's that thing where like it, like, it works on paper. It just doesn't thought, work out loud. I thought you were going to say it works on several levels. So if you don't get it, then uh, maybe read a book. Yeah, the sense yeah, of like humor is for high IQ people like Rick and yeah, Morty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, Rich, Richard, Richard and Mordecai. <laughs> Richard and Mordecai, my favorite situation comedy. Oh, no. Starring Richard Johnny Depp Mordecai. as Mordecai. Oh, the crimes of Mordecai. <laughs> I, I, my housemates and I tried to watch Mordecai. We tried to sit down and watch it. We got 15 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it. Uh, truly abysmal. Like, not like Shark Tank Pank, uh, Dreadful, or whatever that movie was called. <laughs> trailer Shark Park? Yeah, Trailer Shark Park. Shark Tank <laughs> I don't know. I knew there was a rhyme in there somewhere. Hang on. Hang on. Shark Tank Bank. I've got an idea here. <laughs> I'm on Twitter too. (laughs) Can someone pitch Shark Tank Bank? Yes. Yeah, I think we can do that. Coming up next week on Pitch Shift. Shark Tank Bank. Um, I actually do know what's coming up next week on Pitch Shift and it's going to be really exciting, but it's not Shark Tank Bank. Coming up in the the very soon future, Sean Pitch Shift. Shark Tank Bank. I'm on Twitter at Tansy Clipboard. <laughs> I think we need to end it there. Yeah. I think we need, yeah. Yeah, we need to. Yeah. I know what I have to do. I just don't know if I have the strength to do it. <laughs> it's build a bank full of shark tanks. <laughs> you come to deposit your sharks. <laughs> you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding to deposit your shark. my greatest contribution to the pitch shift extended universe. Shark Tank back. Shark Tank back. These wounds won't seem to heal. This pain is just too real. There's just too much that time cannot erase. When you
This podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri, Gadigal and Wiradjuri land. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land.